Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Scott David Chase. This is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. On this episode, I spoke with Cariel Anzaldi. Um, this episode is sponsored by WeAreDapperTies.com. They have a wide selection of neckties. Uh, if you go to WeAreDapperTies.com, make a selection or two or three. If you put in promo code TRUTH, at checkout, you will get free shipping in the continental United States. So thank you to them for sponsoring this. Uh, Carrie Al is an actress and model and missionary. Um, I met Carrie Al a couple years ago doing a one-woman show that my friend uh, Greg Gaskell, G. Matthew Gaskell, uh, wrote and directed. He was on an episode of this podcast way back in season one. Uh, I believe that was the first time I met her, but I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, uh, she did an amazing job, uh, like I said, one-woman show. Uh, and, uh, w- you know, we've become friends, and uh, she's a, she is an actress who works pretty pretty steadily uh, in this, both the Seacoast, New Hampshire, and um, she does a lot of work uh, at the Hatbox Theater in Concord, New Hampshire, and um, is currently making plans to do some acting in Ireland. So, you know, we got into that eventually in this conversation. But we've been trying to, we're both very busy. We've been trying to find a time in our both of our schedules where we could actually get together and do this, and we were able to make it happen. Um, yeah, I went to Concord, and we had, uh, uh, well, I had a San Pellegrino, and I think she had a, she had a cider. At a bagel shop. So, uh, but it was great to see her and it was good to catch up. So, hopefully, you enjoy this conversation with Carrie Allen Zaldi. Hooray! I don't know how loud the music will be here, but it's actually not that loud in here. So that's okay. Um, I like this little this little nook. I've now recorded, so I've recorded here. I've recorded at the Dos Amigos, which is that way, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a there's a I don't remember the name of it. There's a tavern that way because the Capitol Building is across. Capitol no, building's right over there. Okay, so it's across the street from the Capitol building, so it's probably two blocks from here. So, you know, if I do this it's long probably... enough, I'll hit every business <laughs> on Main Street in Concord. It's probably the Barley House. Yes. I'm at where you were. Yep. I yep. hate that place. Um, <laughs> we, that was an interesting one. It was for the movie podcast, so we saw a movie at the Red River Theater here, which is Great one of my favorite theater. theaters. Me um, too. But, um, uh, what we had so me and my buddy Bob when we occasionally for the movie one we'll do this thing called Burgers with Bob where because most of the movies for the movie podcast I see by myself and then I just sit in a lonely room and talk about movies <laughs> but with Bob we'll go out see a movie and then talk about it over a burger and we try and because we're trying to find the best burger in New Hampshire and the burger there was really good did you go to Vibes? Uh, no okay that's where you should get food for the road don't yeah. get it here it's so good. <laughs> what it's, kind of food is it? So it's all burgers. It's just Vibes burgers, but like they do, they do like veggie burgers and they have 
like veggie burger meatballs that you can get too. But right. they have, of course, meat as well. But they're so, they're so, so good. Burgers aren't really great driving food, though. No, you'd have to sit. Right. That's the thing. I mean, because <laughs> of course I'm doing like 40 things today. I'm, uh, I mean, t- later today I'm just dropping off a painting. So it's yeah. not that big a deal. And it's on the way home. And it's like, yeah. But I'm meeting a friend for a drink to give her this painting. It's yeah. one of four commission paintings. So I'm like, yeah, it'll probably be around eight o'clock, but it might be a little before, it might be a little after. Yeah, we'll see. But I did, uh, I did my bread delivery this morning. Oh, shit. What's Should have brought some. I was actually, if I had any left over, I was going to bring some because I couldn't remember because I have so many friends who are can't do gluten at all. So I was like, I think gluten. No, you know what's funny? I was I was asked that a lot mm-hmm. in uh, when I was in Ireland. I, people would be like, like they'd be ready to cook dinner or ready to go somewhere. They'd be like, Are you are you a vegetarian? Are you vegan? Are you gluten free? What, what's what's your issue? American. And I was like, Is that an American thing? Like it's like you all just have issues. Well. It kind of is, really, because, um, and I know there's going to be some people that say that I'm, you know, it's a conspiracy thing, but so many of, from the reading that I've done and, you know, the education I've been given by people who know far more about nutrition than I do, Mm -hmm. so many of our digestive issues and allergy issues are because of how much we've modified the food in the last 50 years. Yeah. Because all of the... Gluten and nut allergies and all this other stuff, they're not really in countries that don't overprocess their food. Yeah. Like we're uh, we're the we're the only country that I know of. Well us and parts of Canada that refrigerate our eggs. Wow. Actually like, noticed that. Yeah, they're just out but because you don't really need to. Um, but we also, there's another part of the process that to like make eggs okay in this country that mm-hmm. uh, I was doing air quotes, you couldn't hear that. Uh, <laughs> uh, that makes the eggs perishable. And, but they're shelf stable and natural. And it's interesting because I'm like, I wonder how, how safe they're making them or how much it's creating their own built-in industry. So they're like, if we do this, it makes the eggs go bad after a while, so you have to hurry up and eat them. Yeah. And if not, come buy more eggs. Yeah. Whereas either way, you're buying more eggs. Right. You know, you either need more because you went through them too fast. So how was the food in Ireland? Since that was a good segue. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I think it's so good. Ironically, I had sushi the first night there. Yeah. They were like, "Yeah, we're getting out to dinner. How does Japanese food sound?" I was like, "Oh, all right. I just got here. I guess it's better than I don't know. What <laughs> well, it might be the same as if like you had someone." visiting from Belgium and the, the first night they're like can we go get McDonald's <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean although McDonald's is maybe not a great example because they're everywhere well but. they yeah they do have McDonald's a couple of people I met are boycotting McDonald's over there it's for lots of interesting reasons but no I find the food really really good I um I was cooked for really frequently ironically a lot of eggs Mm-hmm. Really cooked me like eggs every morning, all these different ways. Um, I made a friend specifically who's a chef, and, and like every morning he'd be like, "I'm making you all breakfast tomorrow. It's, I need twelve eggs for each of you." <laughs> so he was twelve like, eggs for each of you? No, no, I'm exaggerating. But he's seemed to be big on like all the different ways you can make eggs and things like that. But I loved. Um, I like how rich the food is there. Yeah. 
I think they don't really dabble as much as we do with spices. I think the food itself is so rich because I mean here, if you get if you get anything like any vegetable, any steak, anything like that, it's just covered in like, salt and all this stuff. Like I got um, where was I? I don't remember, but I got somewhere here in Concord actually. But I got salmon and I was so excited about. It. I'm like, yeah, it's gonna be great. Showed up and it had advertised a little bit of lemon whatever on top. It's like three inches thick. Yeah. On top of the fish, I'm like, I think there's fish under this pile of spices. Right. But it seems like we cooking to us means adding things to something to make it good whereas they genuinely have good food that right. they can just cook right that goes back to oddly enough my whole burgers with bob experience because so i was a vegetarian for 14 years and then i started eating meat when i was in arizona because the record store was across the street from burger chain oh, yeah. um but in the southwest they like they know how to cook meat New England, we're not amazing at it. There are some places that are better than others, but like a lot, particularly hamburgers, it's a very bland way that most places cook them. So when I came back, because I, I don't eat that much meat now anyways, mm-hmm. but about twice a month, I really want a good burger. So I was on a quest to find like, I mean, not specifically in New England, but like the best burger place around me. And the place that I found several years ago, I'm still, right now, that's still, of all the places we've eaten on our journey, my, I'm like, that's still the best. But when I kind of threw it out a couple of years ago, asking people, hey, what's the best place, the place that kept coming up over and over again is Lexi's in Portsmouth. Oh. Um, it's, I know a lot of people, particularly theater people, who love it. But the big thing with Lexi's is it's all, they do all these crazy sauces on the burgers, mm-hmm. and which is all well and good, but the burgers themselves have very little flavor. And that's what I'm looking for, because I don't care about like, like the default whenever we go out getting a burger is we'll just get the house cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just the regular burger, lettuce, tomato, pickles, and cheese on it. Like, I don't need all this other stuff. Every once in a while, if they don't have that, I'll try a different one, but like a burger should stand on its own with its flavor. So the only thing that's enticing you is the you know the mess of sauces that are on it. Yeah. Match. Not interesting. Now have you had a like specifically a Kobe beef burger? Have you ever had it that way? So good. I used to work at um well the the O, they have lots of locations all over the place. The um, The O? Yeah. So like there's well, there's one here in Concord. There's one in Laconia. I worked in Laconia, and then they also own what's it called? Like like the Wolfboro Bistro. Okay. They own that place. They own something in Meredith. I can't remember the name of, but it's essentially magic foods industry. They cater as well. Like Rub and Butts Barbecue is them as well. They use Kobe beef specifically. Mm. I didn't understand what the big deal was until one of the guys in the kitchen was like, "Just shut up, eat one of the burgers." Mm-hmm. It's so so good, mm. and of course because it's a higher fat content, and it's you know right. the cows are bred a certain way, they're fed a certain way, like everything is really really specific, and that's why right. it's so expensive. But right. you know. yeah, it was. I have kind of a garbage palate, so <laughs> it's like like I recognize the difference with it but I was like I don't appreciate the difference enough for like it, I was fine with it like I really enjoy it but I was like the difference in price my palate doesn't appreciate it sure, yeah. you know what I mean like which was interesting I that was something that for a long time I was kind of I don't know I guess embarrassed about and then actually uh, 
somewhat famous winemaker. He's like, hey, some people have a $20 bottle of wine palette. Some people have an $80 bottle of wine palette. He's like, both of those are fine. He's like, whatever you enjoy. He's like, don't let someone else tell you what type of wine you enjoy. Right. And I kind of looked at it the same way with like just anything culinary. I mean, not to say, you know, you should eat only trash and, you know, Cheetos and whatnot. But oh, yeah. There are certain, like, I, and I try and, I try and try stuff outside of my, you know, usual go-tos just for variety. Um, especially if my initial reaction is, I don't want to try that. I'm like, okay, now you And you probably should, yeah. yeah. But it's been about 50-50 with, oh, okay, that was actually good. Or, no, I was correct. I don't enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, instinctually, sometimes you don't want to try something because you're like, no, I know it involves this. Like, I loathe everything about onions. I don't care. People are like, oh, you can't even taste it. Or like, oh, you like them caramelized. I'm like, nope. I hate it's. I turn my nose at them in every category. It's actually that same cook that made me try Kobe beef. He used to slip onions into stuff to try to get yeah. me to eat them. Like, I can see them. And I refuse. It's all onions? Red onions? Oh, onions. Ugh, gross. I can't do it. Which is funny because onion rings always smell really good to me. So you get to the onion. I'm point. not gonna eat them. I think oil is what smells good to me. Yeah, fried anything no. smells delicious. Yes, but it's true. Everyone is different. I mean, I I feel that way about Chipotle. Everybody loves Chipotle. I I try really hard. First of all, I think the presentation is trash. Well, they have to have it built right there in front of you. Well, no, I don't mind that. I mean, because there's you know when they build the bowls and stuff. Like, so I'll go and I'll get like, tacos because. I don't want quinoa and rabbit food. I just want a taco. <laughs> I'm very simple in my palate, too. I'm very meat and cheese. But I was watching, We, my friend Amy and I, we went like two weeks ago. And she's making these tacos, and she's just like slapping it on there, such a mess. And then just like took the foil and folded it into a little ball and handed it to me. Yeah. Like, um, <laughs> I feel like this is like what I threw away out of the trunk of my right. car a few days ago. Right. I don't know. So the presentation means a lot for food to me anyway. Sure. And then even eating it, like, I understand that this is, like, everybody's favorite. They're like, it's so fresh. It's so good. I'm like, I... It's like bad fresh. I don't, I don't see it as fresh. I mean... Right. I don't know. It's... Fresh and gourmet are two words that get thrown around a lot with food that nobody actually has a hard definition for them. And it's, yeah. like, it's, it's such a subjective thing because, like, so the Trader Joe's where I work at, and this is not me talking trash about Trader Joe's, but like we have a sign hanging in the back right now because um, we have bagels that are there and they're bagged mm-hmm. bagels. And yes, they're more fresh than like frozen lenders bagels, but it says get some of our fresh bagels, pop them out of the bag and throw them in the toaster. And I'm like, if they're in a bag, they're fresh like if they're not in my opinion if they're not made on the premises that day and handed to you right they're not fresh like if they're not still warm Mm -hmm. from being baked initially it's not fresh I mean but again I think people are like oh everything has to be fresh 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 so there's certain things like you can eat bread that was made you know earlier in the morning and it'd be fine mm-hmm. but don't call it fresh if it's been sitting there for 10 hours yeah that's <laughs> uh, the way I look at it and yeah. uh, you know Chef Boyardee uses the word gourmet on their cans so that word has no meaning Chef Boyardee process mm-hmm. no I went to Be Good a few yeah. days ago have you been there yet so it's over like right by exit 14 yeah. in Concord. Um, I got a burger 
It was very, very good. Arguably small for its price. I mean, so it's $9. dollars doesn't come with anything. Kind of a small burger, but it had, like, cheddar cheese and, like, a ton of bacon and avocado. And it was on this really, really good, like, whole wheat bread. And on the wall, they list all of the farms that they get their stuff from. And they tell you, like, what's in season right now? What should you get right now while it's good? Well, we just picked it up, like, yesterday. Yeah. And that's cool. That tasted fresh to me. Still, though, I wonder when, like, when was a bun cut? When was it made? You know, is it sitting in a bag? And, like, that, I'm not super picky about anything like that, but it was, it was really good. I do suggest that place if someone's looking for something on the healthier side or something that's not going to make you feel like crap after. Right. Because I did feel really good after. Oh, it had an egg on it, too, like, over easy egg. It's like a local egg. (laughs) You know my feeling about eggs, right? I guess I don't. Oh, I despise eggs. Do you really? Yeah, and it's so funny. Yeah, everyone in the world does. I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the foods that's like common in like so many cultures. Well, onions too. Right. Um, Well, because onions are very easy to grow. They're very hearty. You know, you know, root. And it's like a basic ingredient when you cook. Right. But I avoid it so much. Garlic. garlic I will eat I will admit I can't handle a ton of it no. when uh, when my stepdad first moved in like 10 years ago he cooked with garlic a ton I was super into it until I just could not eat garlic anymore mm. just really couldn't for the longest time and he's an excellent cook have too. you ever noticed if you walk in front of a mirror you don't have a reflection <laughs> I could be who knows yeah. I slowly transformed into one right. um that's interesting. Well, I mean, I guess I can't give you a hard time about onions because I don't like eggs. And I'll eat stuff that right. crazy. had eggs. And so when I did my trip last fall, mm-hmm. as much as I'm a picky eater, I don't, like, I'm more anxious about, like, putting people out with my pe- peculiarities. So, mm-hmm. like, going out to eat, I can always find something sure. to eat. But eating at someone's house, like, I always I don't realize this until like the day of or the day before when someone's like, "Do you have any food limitations?" Because I have some legitimate allergies, but I also have some peculiarities that I'm just like I'm not allergic to this. But so when I went on my trip, I was staying with a lot of people, so eating in a lot of people's houses, and so I ended up eating eggs three different times oh, in the no. first couple of weeks, and then by the third one, I was like, I "Can't do this anymore." I was like. So the next, because the third time was at someone's house, I was staying with two nights in a row. So the next morning, they're like, oh, I'm about to make breakfast. I'm like, cool, I don't want any eggs. And they're like, oh, were your eggs bad? Yes, sir. I was like, nope. Oh, I was like, sir. I have a confession to make. <laughs> I hate eggs. And they're like, I'm so sorry. Why didn't you say anything? I'm like, because I'm a jerk. And I was like, you, I was like, I ate them because you spent all this time making them. And right. that's great. Oh, no. The works is on fire. Now it's just the kettle. You have to cancel because the restaurant's on fire. No, um, no I'm, I mean, I'm the same way people ask me. that They'll be looking, we're going to cook dinner. So I just, so I'm moving in with uh, new friends soon and they wanted to make me dinner Thursday night and we'll talk about some stuff. She asked me, she was like, okay, well, um, what do you want? I was like, no, I don't really care. Of course I care. Right. Everyone says you don't care. And they were like, well, what, what don't you eat? And I was like, uh, I don't eat peppers, onions, tomatoes, mushrooms. Wait, you don't eat tomatoes? I don't like tomatoes. Which is weird, because I like ketchup, which is essentially vinegar. I like 
I like tomato sauce, not on my pasta, but I'll do it on like chicken or meatballs or something. I like pizza what do you put sauce. On your pasta if you don't? Butter and cheese. Huh. But I'll put my meatballs in the sauce. So for our podcast uh, that went up this past week, but we recorded like three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And this was free, all of the commotion, but so the now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. He eats pasta with ketchup. <laughs> so and and that's it's not this podcast. And it's not the not the movie one. It's the ridiculous filthy podcast. So <laughs> my co-host started a tradition about a year ago of having us eat disgusting things. And I've gone and, and the thing is, if it's proposed and someone brings it in, we both will eat it. And sometimes sure. a producer. Although I did get out of one this week because it was peanut butter and mayonnaise sandwiches, but I'm, I'm allergic to peanuts, and he forgot that, so I couldn't, wow. honestly couldn't eat them, uh, and I won't even tell you on my... I will throw mayonnaise at yeah. people. I hate mayonnaise. But, Me too. But, um, so we tried we tried spaghetti and ketchup. Is way, it awful? Way worse than you would think it would be. It's horrible. Well, it's, ketchup is mostly vinegar. Well... Like Heinz 57, there's a lot of sugar in it too, so it's very. Like yeah. You don't realize how sweet it is if you're having it outside of like, like fries or something else, because you're used to the salt. ketchup being the yeah. But it was just like it was nasty. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I like want to try it, <laughs> but I don't. I don't know. So we got no peppers, no onions, no tomatoes. What no. else? What else? No mushrooms. No mushrooms. I like mushrooms. Not really like peas. What do you like besides... Uh, I love peanut butter, so... <laughs> have you ever... Now, I haven't tried this myself because of the peanut allergy and also because it sounds disgusting, but there's a bunch of places now that have a burger with peanut butter on it. I've not tried that. Would you try that? Yes. You could put peanut butter on probably anything except onions yeah. or peppers or tomatoes or yeah. mushrooms and I would probably eat it. Peanut butter was the big thing when I found out about my nut allergy that was like heartbreaking. Tragic. I was like, I was like wow. I don't really see a point in living in But there are substitutes that are identical. Well, you would think. Well, what is Kelsey, Kelsey Domini? You know Kelsey Domini? Yeah. I, she found one recently. She she also recently discovered she has a peanut allergy. She was devastated, like most peanut allergy people are. And she found something, brought me this sandwich that she made. She's like, smell it. It's like, it's it's not real peanut butter. And she let me taste it. And I'm like, that actually, they might mm. be tricking you. Make sure you have a pulse when you finish that sandwich. Right. Well, and there are some, like, alternate nut butters that they make, but most of them still have peanuts. Like, you have to read. Oh, yeah. And, like, because on paper, I'm actually not allergic to peanuts. It's walnuts, pecans. Oh, okay. But peanut, it's more peanut oil than actual peanuts. Um... I'll have the same reaction to them, just not to such a degree. Yeah. Um, Is it like a throat closing kind of thing? That, that's uh, just scary. It's more of like a severe vomiting. No, no. But it's not immediate. That's the thing. Like, as soon as like it hits me, I can tell what's going to happen, but it can take like two to six hours for it to happen. Crazy. Which is almost worse than the actual like getting sick. Because like I try and talk myself out of it. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then maybe five minutes before it happens, I'll just get this horrible cold sweat. Oh, yeah. Like, okay, here it comes. Here it comes. Mm-hmm. Let's find a place that's relatively clean that just uh, 
it's hard. Yeah. But it was, I mean, I had, I was, the way we found out was I was in and out of ICU for three months, like getting sicker and sicker. Like I had like, like uh, my kidneys shut down, my liver shut down. Like I was going into like severe organ failure, like the worst pain of my life. And we didn't know that I was almost pizza nuts. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Ugh. Yeah. So that's why I'm just like, like, cause when we found out and they did the allergy test and I was okay for peanuts, I was like, okay, thank God. And then once I started feeling better, like a couple, maybe like two months afterwards, I had peanut butter a couple times and I was like, I feel good and then got sick again. So I tried a couple different things. Like I've done almond butter for a while, but recently mm-hmm. I've started to feel the same way with almonds. So I was like, I have to cut out almonds too. Like, I just need to cut out nut oils. Yeah. Might just be the you know what they're made of. Yeah, and as much as people say it tastes good, that the sunflower seed butter does not look good at all. That I haven't tried. It's got like a yellowish taste. I like that this podcast is now turning into just food if we don't. Oh, because we're secretly hungry. <laughs> That's all right. Um, how long does it take you to get to Concord? I know you have to drive. Oh, it's like half an hour. Oh, okay. No, not a, I, and I come to Concord every single day of my life. I tried to move here. Did you work in Concord? No, I just, I mean, I do all my theater in Concord. Well, I know that. So, or most of it. Yeah. But that, was a, that was a nice segue. So how did opening weekend go? Oh, it was fantastic. Is it two or three weekends? So three weekends. So Invasion so, from Mars. Yeah, so this will go up before the third weekend. So yeah. where is it at? So it's at the Hatbox Theater. Mm-hmm. It is Fridays and Saturdays at 7.30 and Sundays at 2. Uh, so basically, if you're familiar with Orson Welles, and the War of the Worlds. It is the story of his radio broadcast um, that went totally haywire in New Jersey in 1938. And um, it's really cool, the, the documentaries that I've been listening to to do the research for the show because they are all real characters and it is a true story. You have to perform it in the truest way that you can. Yeah. Is that the way it went down is that they're, you know, they're doing this radio broadcast and no one was listening to the beginning. So no one heard that it was a radio play because there was this ventriloquist also on the radio and people were a strange eventual cast on the radio but people were listening to him show got less interesting so they moved along they um i forget what it's called but it's essentially like radio surfing mm-hmm. i think it's called twirling or something like that mm-hmm. but it's um just like channel surfing on a radio and they right. fell upon the radio play because it was like no breaking broadcast you know all these things like breaking news from this it sounded so legitimate that the term martian was very quickly translated to german so people didn't didn't think aliens were attacking. They thought the Germans were attacking, mm. which is so legitimate, and it's so possible. And since there were all these crises that just you know ended, all of these things that had just happened in the '30s that it was not unheard of. And you know, right. there's a great great podcast that I, I wish I knew who directed it at this point, but it goes along about how the human brain reacts emotionally not logically so in a situation like this it made total sense for people to just sure. hop in their cars and flee because they're like germans yeah i get out of here but they were like there were fatal car accidents there it says in the documentary there like vague reports of suicide and things like mm-hmm. that so it it went absolutely haywire but there were no ramifications for the mercury players or orson wells because they didn't break any laws right there were two disclaimers the other one was at intermission for the show but at that point everyone had stopped listening right they had they were fleeing the city no one was listening anymore and anyone that was did hear the disclaimer right. so there was nothing for him he ended up going to hollywood 
And he was 23, younger than I am, yeah. when this all happened. So that's what the play is about. It's written and directed by Gary Locke. Um, it has phenomenal actors in it. Uh, myself, Aaron, is in it. Aaron Campagna is in it. Um, Whitney Smith is her last name, I yep. believe. Whitney Smith is also in it. Uh, my roommate, Erin Wilcox, is in it as well. It's her first big professional thing, which nice. I'm very excited about. So it's a really, really good show. I highly recommend it. It was very well received in the first weekend. It was Standing O's three nights in a row. So that's it's seems, an original piece. Yeah. Right? Yeah, which yeah. Hatbox is known for. Yeah, Hatbox is a, a big supporter of local talent. Yeah. I mean, you were so... Year and a half ago, two years ago, that you were in uh, uh, Ray of Light. Ray of Light was February of 2017. Yeah, so 18 months ago. Yeah, yeah. Which was it was the it was the premiere mm-hmm. of uh, Jim Matthew Gaskell's Ray of Light. Yeah, and, and I was show by the way that you were superb. Oh, thank you, thank you. I miss it so much. It was she was a lot of fun to play, and it was really cool because he had already cast Jess Jess Miller for Portsmouth that. Him doing it in Concord and uh, high, casting another actress to do it in Concord was essentially a guinea pig yeah. experiment. He's like, let's see how it's received in Concord. And then it was such a hit in Concord. He couldn't believe that he only booked one weekend. Andrew, the first thing he said to me, he came up to me opening night, right after the show, and audience is still clapping. He goes, booking one weekend was the biggest mistake he'll ever make. And then walked away. Right. I'm like, well, you know, who knows? And he, I know he'd like to do it again. Um, we've talked about filming it before, too. But it would have to be... We'd have to find an apartment to rehearse the crap out of it in. And then it would be one... What we talked about it like a year ago is just to do one continuous stream. So it wouldn't be edited. It wouldn't be anything right. like that. Just Which is very, very tricky to it's do. It's really I difficult. Don't, I don't know if... Uh, so about 10 years ago, uh, Greg and I were in a film together. Mm-hmm. Shark Dress Men. Which I think it's about twelve years ago now. Yeah. And but my my brother T directed it, and his attempt, like the first couple days we were doing it, he wanted to do the entire film as a single shot, like wanted to rehearse it, and we had to give up on that very quickly because not only is that very difficult to do anyway, but this involved multiple locations, getting in a car filming oh, while yeah. in a moving vehicle and it was uh it was crazy yeah but it's i mean it, it's tough to do um there was a movie and it's driving me nuts i can't think of it tom hardy was in a movie a couple of years ago where the entire film is just him driving and talking on the phone um there's no other actors in it there are other voices in the, you know the phone calls coming in the people that he's talking to and it's about 80 minutes long and He's one of the few actors I can think of that actually could make something like that captivating. And it's, it's mm-hmm. an interesting film, uh, although I know it, uh, you know, if Greg's listening to this, it, it, it could not keep his attention, but we we <laughs> we have different tastes in movies a lot of the time. Uh, it's so weird that guy that's sitting out there who walked in earlier is actually uh, almost being a roommate of mine and oh, is someone funny. I have a podcast scheduled with for a couple weeks from now, oh. but he totally didn't see me. He, he, he lives. He lives in my area, but uh, we'll just sit there. He's waiting for you. Yeah, he's like, oh, he's, he's like, I thought we were meeting today. <laughs> uh, but uh, that, yeah, doing uh, doing a ray of light as a as a film would be a similar sort of thing. The benefit would be that it's all in one room, right? And that 
most of it would just be a lot of close shots of Emily and what she's doing and all these things. But it's really neither here nor there. We don't, we've had one person who does film interested. Uh, he actually brought it up again a few months ago and Greg and I hadn't talked about it in a long time, but and we still haven't. Greg is really focused on a lot of other things. I mean, he's writing like, yeah, three different plays. And, thank God he's always writing. He's a brilliant writer, but yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be a ways out. But yeah, so that I did Ray of Light at the Hatbox. Um, I started at the Hatbox summer of 2016 um, with my first professional show, and I've been with them ever since. Um, they opened in 2016. Yeah, yeah, it was it was kind of it was amazing. So Matt Potter, Kevin Barrett, and Andrew Pennard are the three founders. I'm doing air quotes. Founders. Are, I think Andrew's really the primary founder. Sure. Kevin is still present. Matt has since stepped aside because he tutors and he was in school and he works full time. It was a lot for him, so he's taken a step back from it, but he's still pretty involved. And uh, <laughs> when the first night that they were showing it, it was like a blueprint night. And I remember going in, it was still a cold water creek. There was no booth, no seats, nothing. And giving these tours and spreading the blueprints out on the tables and showing people how it's going to work. And I was kind of like, okay. Right. Yeah. Could be cool a cute water little creek theater. Is a clothing store. Yeah, it was yeah, a clothing store. For those not familiar with the Havox Theater, it is in a mall. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what's the name of that mall? Steeplegate Steeple Mall. Yeah. A yeah. mall slowly dying. Yeah. Although now they're changing all these things about it. So, like, they're putting a charter school where the Bonton used to be. Yeah. Have you heard that? I haven't heard that, but I mean, that's kind of, that's, I mean, malls in general in the United States are dying, so like, uh, the smart people running them are getting innovative with the space and doing different well, things. It's a massive, typically well-constructed building. I mean, wh what are you going to do with it? You have so much parking, right. so much empty space, it's all like, you know, conditioned air and all of these things. Well, and a lot of a lot of people don't realize it because I've, I've worked at malls you know, off and on for the last twenty something years. Mm -hmm. That uh, one of the one of the rules of like an indoor shopping mall, like one of the things to get approved, is that um, they're basically centered like during natural disasters they have to withstand a certain amount because there are places that people will be sent to. Yeah. If there's a natural disaster. Exactly. So, so yeah, they. It's such a well put together building. They might as well like they're building what I think is a trampoline park huh. in one of the sections. It looks that way, but you can it's only see in the windows. Waiting to happen. I don't know. It sounds kind of cool. I mean, they put in. Um, I didn't mean financially. I mean like you know broken broken houses oh, well. and stuff like that. I mean they have them in Massachusetts. No one's died yet that I'm aware of. But they they sound fun. It sounds scary though. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the place where I like break something the week before a show. I or something um, like that. I, I broke a toe when I was a kid on Ugh. on the trampoline, got it caught between the springs and uh, the edge. Nope. Yeah. Gross. Yep. Woo. Yep. I've seen people fall off trampolines. I mean, this is all like you know, it's very padded, mm -hmm. things like that. But I saw that they're doing the charter school. Um, at Christmas, a lot of stores will move in to the mall. You know, yeah, little temporary, yeah, thirty shops. Yeah, I saw. I saw a meme the other day that said, when one door closes, the spirit of Halloween opens. It's true. <laughs> it's yeah, very true. A lot of Toys R Us, Toys R... Toys Ascent? R We? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know what the plural, Toys R Us. Toys R We, I like the it. plural past tense, Toys were Us. 
Um, oh, no. Are now like Spirit of Halloween stores for the next three weeks. So yeah, because they're just big empty big areas. empty box. And the problem is, there's no retailers. Like, I mean, there are no retailers opening stores that big anymore. No. Um, and a lot of the companies that have stores that big are closing the bigger ones and getting smaller and smaller. It's, uh, and I worked for Best Buy for 11 years. I, I'm really surprised that that company is still in business. Best Buy, yeah, it's like a like a blockbuster. It's gonna. My brother works for Best Buy. Actually, he just got um, he just started something temporary with them because my brother's an audio engineer, but you know, inconsistent gigs. So he uh, picked up a job with them. Like I can't believe it's still in New Hampshire. He's in Maine, actually. Oh, okay. um, I'm not sure where the store is. He lives in Biddeford. He so does it's probably the South Portland store. I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when you talk to him, or when you listen to this, and you remember. Uh, ask him if he works for Ray Pullen, and if he does, tell him that Scott says hi. I've done, I shall. Ray, I've actually worked with at two jobs. Oh. Uh, uh, Ray's a good buddy of mine. I did some artwork for his his nonprofit organization a while ago. So. Which is what? What's his nonprofit? Uh, it's called Ray's Up, and I'm getting going to get the details terribly wrong. But so several years ago, uh, Ray had a very debilitating illness that he was in a medical induced coma for a while he oh. needed again Ray I apologize for not remembering the specific details but I think it's 71 units of blood to keep him alive which is a lot of blood I don't uh, even know what that is so uh, what is that in pints do you know I don't but it's like I don't know if you've ever seen when someone is given blood like the big bag that is a single unit, and I think oh my gosh. your body holds like four or five of those at any given time. So the fact that he had to have seven of one um, just to keep him alive. So since he recovered and you know it's doing well, he does this annual thing. He does an annual blood drive to oh, cool. to give back, and you know his his goal the first year was however many, but they've they, you know they've exceeded each year. Um, mm the number that they did the previous year so yeah. huh so and I, I i'll still volunteer like i i didn't do it this year because i forget what i was doing but i volunteered to help out whenever they do the blood drive I yeah can't yeah give cool. blood myself but because of the tattoos so oh really yeah, you have to go at least a year um without getting a tattoo before you could donate blood and i have never gone well that's not true when i lived in arizona for a few years without getting a tattoo that's funny i was supposed to do a blood drive um, back in May, which, oh no, though, I guess I didn't have the new tattoo yet. I guess I could have. But no, when I got the new one, I guess I didn't get that till. Do you have June. any new tattoo on your shoulder? On the back of my shoulder, yeah. I got the sunflower yeah. from my father. Yeah. Very cool. I got it covered something else. Rachel Snell at Capital City is a goddess among mortals. Yeah. She's so good. She's, she's fantastic. She does beautiful work. She's very. Um, it's hard to use the word gentle because you're getting a tattoo no matter what. But she was, she blew my mind. I mean, she uh, had made this image on her computer of what I was looking for using this incredible program that I can't remember the name of. Printed the picture and just taped it to the wall near my head. And we just kind of look at it and look down and do this and it's identical. Mm, it's awesome. her, her stencil was like just shapes. Yeah. But like the coloring, everything about it, it's so beautiful. She did such a good job. And she even like, Without a touch-up, it looked really good. And then after the touch-up, it looked fantastic. Capital City in general 
is really, it's the cleanest tattoo shop I've ever seen. Mm. And they were so friendly. The owner too, his name's Scott actually. Owner's a wicked nice guy. I came back in to have the um, Sanoderm removed. And I came in because I was having a hard time doing it myself and there was no one there. But he had showed up very randomly to drop something off. He's like, no, come on in, I'll do it, it's fine. Nice. So he's, they're great people. Price was great. Nice. It was really, really good. Nice. And it's, do what, three tattoos? Yeah, I have three, technically four, because one's covered, but yeah, right. I have three. I want so many. I can name three offhand that I would love to have, but it's as an actor and as a model. Sure. I have to consider, you know, which yeah. of these am I going to want in a long run and things like that. It was uh, it was interesting to me. Uh, I, saw, I saw Venom this past weekend, which is oh, yeah? a garbage movie. Uh, <laughs> I expected it to be garbage, but Tom, heard. Tom Hardy, again, is in it, but he has... Um, like, he has a ton of tattoos on his arms that are not covered up in the film. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it didn't... But there's also no... Ex like, they don't play a part in the character at all. There's no explanation whatsoever, which I thought was interesting given... I mean, it you know, it's a contemporary set film, and he's a guy who's like a... He's a freelance reporter, so there would be no problem with him having tattoos, but it's just interesting. I mean, because... Most big name actors, or not most, but there are quite a few big name actors yeah. who have, you know, sometimes extensive tattoo work that you know, oh, yeah. is usually has to be covered up when they when they uh, do a film or a TV show. But well, is it Megan Megan Fox? She's lots of tattoos, mm -hmm. and I mean, she's a very exposed actress too right. because she is such a fox right. that I think there are a couple movies, Transformers specifically, that they, and I mean, CGI is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. You can take away people's tattoos in a theater world. Um, I guess even in photography too, you know, you can remove someone's mm -hmm. tattoos, but in a th like there's there's one that I really love to have on the inside of my arm. But I think about even the costume I wear in Invasion from Mars. I don't cover this one because mm -hmm. it's so unnoticeable. But this one would be, and I'm like, even if I covered it, it would just it would sweep the side of the costume so much it would eventually be exposed anyway. Right. That it just makes me think about it. You know, it's it's a money thing too. You know, as much as I would love to have a tattoo every two weeks, sure, tattoos are expensive. That's true. <laughs> Very true. They are. I saw the um, something on Instagram the other day. It was like a 30k tattoo giveaway. I'm like 30. <laughs> what, what do you even do with that? Right. That's that's a lot of. You'd have to gift some of those. Yeah. Somebody asked me a customer coming through my line to Trader Joe's. That, first of all, they asked me how many tattoos I had, and they're like, they're like how long? You know, sitting on the table. I was like. I don't know. I'm like, you know, probably at least an hour for each. I mean, some of them take less than an hour, yeah. but then some have been multiple hours. And they're like, do you know how much money that is? I'm like, no idea. I mean, honestly, over, you know. You should try to count someday the total. Well, I know how many tattoos I have. But I mean, the total of like how much you've spent. I have no idea. Like, I, I couldn't even tell you what I spent on my most recent one. I know <laughs> my first tattoo cost $60 because it was $10 above the shop minimum at the mm -hmm. time, uh, which most shops, their minimum is much higher than $50 now, but I yeah, also... Yeah, it's 80 or $100 now. I'm 24. Yeah, so, uh, it's what year were you born? 94. Okay, so you were one year old when I got my first tattoo. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, I've been getting at least a tattoo a year since. I mean, yeah. multiple years, there were way more than... than no. Yeah. And I would love it. In, in, in another world, I would have a half sleeve. I would have like a massive thigh piece. Because I love tattoos. I love the way they look on people. Mm. I love the art form. 
I dated a guy once upon a time that was like, why would you want to ruin your skin like that? I'm like, that's like saying, why would you want to paint a white room? Right. Because it's nicer. It's even nicer. Decoration. <laughs> it's, it's so funny how much tattooing has changed just in my lifetime. Because when I, when I started getting tattooed, I knew probably, like I could probably count on one hand how many people I knew who had tattoos. And now I could probably count on one hand the number of people I know that don't have tattoos. Oh, yeah. But also, as far as like people getting heavy coverage, uh, Particularly like early on. I mean, I've, I've seen 22, 23 year old kids who are like completely covered. So covered, yeah. like on their neck. Yeah. I mean, it's... I don't believe, for, for me, I don't believe in cover ups because having dumb and cheesy tattoos is part of my story. Because yeah. even if it's not important to me now, it was important to me then. Yeah. And, but like, I'm just like, how do you know? your entire body tattoo that you've got when you're 23 is something that you're going to be into when you're 40. Right. Like, I don't, I, I'm never one of those people who be like, oh, you're going to regret that. But, you know, give yourself some room to, mm-hmm. to have new interests and express it. Yeah. It is true. No, I mean, don't, That's don't why tattoo your down, whole arm with Mario, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe not your entire arm or something like that. I know, uh, I know a guy who's he's probably 26 or 27 now who has a half sleeve Golden Girls tattoo, and I'm like, <laughs> and you know, it, it's a really nice looking tattoo, yeah. but he got it to be funny. And I'm like, did you have to walk around for the rest of your life with a Golden Girls tattoo? Get a t shirt to be funny. Okay. Well, and that's the thing, I'm like, you know, he's like roughly 30 now. When he's 75, no one's going to know what the Golden Girls are. And they're right. just going to be like, who are those four nice old ladies on your arm? That was a television show in the 1980s that, oh, did you, did it mean a lot to you? Nope, sure didn't. <laughs> well, still, yeah. yeah. My my cover for my back was, um, it was interesting. I, I like telling the story about it, actually. So the, the tattoo that I had for my dad before, my, he was killed in a car accident when I was two. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he was a drummer. And that was pretty much the most of what I knew. So I got that tattoo when I was 16. I'm like, okay, he's a musician. This is when he was born. This is when he died. So I got drumsticks and I got his initials at the crossing point and like the year he was born and the year he was died and I got a drumstick and I got, you know, music in between. The first thing that I hated, hated about the tattoo is that as a musician now, that music makes no sense and it drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. That I mean, just just as a musician, you're like, oh, it's a, you can't even play that. It's not right. a real melody. Right. It's those are dots. I don't know. But so that drove me nuts. Uh, I didn't like the way that it faded. I didn't love the calligraphy. And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know, the only thing that this tattoo represents is what I knew about my dad at the time, and he was so much more than that. Sure. He was, and as I grew up, and you know, I mean, I was 16, but as I got older, and I learned to ask the right questions, and I learned more about, you know, like his faith and who he was as a father and as a person and I looked through his artwork and you know there's my, my parents used to work in this recording studio and, and they still do it's just a different studio now uh, with Dave Spaulding who owns the studio they used to have this wall in the vocal room that if you ever recorded in there you had to like draw something my father recorded in there so many times that his drawings were just everywhere so when they Haverhill Music Center is what it used to be now it's owned by somebody who said they couldn't keep the studio there so they cut the walls out they were like oh we can't have it <laughs> Right. took it out so they took him with us so we have all these drawings but 
you know, I remember looking at the walls and thinking about who he was. I'm like, this tattoo doesn't represent who he was, just what he did. And as, as his daughter, his only daughter, a piece of him, I feel like I should hold a little bit more significance than that. And a big thing for sunflowers was that he loved them, first of all. Thought they're beautiful because they are. And they're kind of magical. There's thousands of them and they're massive. They grow in fields for miles. But when I was born, there's this little yellow ring around my pupil and they mm. look like sunflowers. Mm. So he used to say it's sunflower eyes. Yeah, yeah. So sunflowers are like an unspoken connection between me and the father that I don't even remember having any conversations with. Mm-hmm. So I got this hulk and sunflower on my back to cover what I knew before and what is still true, but it's covered by much more knowledge that I have now. Sure. So it means not only did I cover a terrible tattoo, but it means more to me now. Sure. And when people ask me about it, I can tell them a better story. Yeah. Now, like my daddy was a drummer. Yeah. I guess that's it. (laughs) Um, So if you got it when you were 16, was it like a, was it like a home done tattoo? So the law that your parents could sign for your tattoo was changed three months before I turned 16. Hmm. And it was really, because you could be 16 with parental consent. And my mom was so emotional. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Which is crazy. That's that's what we had read up on, and we were visiting tattoo shops, learning about like all these things. She said, "When you turn sixteen, I'll sign for it," because she was very emotional about it. Thought she was proud of me. She raised me to be independent, and she sent me to Ireland by myself. Whatever. Right. But um, after the law changed, I had to find someone who would do it anyway, because I was so like so committed to it and save the money and all these things. That I found a friend of a friend who used to own a shop doesn't own the shop anymore now he works in construction but he does tattoos out of his home so we did don't don't, don't say his name because you'll incriminate him no 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 which is i don't even i honestly don't remember his name which is horrible um but friend of a friend i don't even remember which friend now but i went to a closer friend shop who is a tattoo artist he's like okay this is what you're looking for he's like this is what his license should look like this is what the needle in the cartridge should be in and there's something i don't even know if this is still true but in the ink cartridge and the needle packets, there's a little piece of paper with a blue dot. If that dot is purple, the needle is expired. Or the cartridge oh. is expired, so you can't use it. This was true in, like, 2010. Yeah. I don't know if that's still true. I don't know anything specifically about that. I mean, I have enough friends who, who mm-hmm. tattoo, but, yeah. Um. Yeah, he went and he laid everything out on this big tray for me. He's like, ask to see all of these things. And he's like, obviously bring your mom. And while I was there, that the guy was really, really nice. He was, uh, he touched up, I drew the tattoo myself and he touched up like the calligraphy and things like that to make it better, um, better than a 16 year old's calligraphy. And then he had all of these friends in the house too that had his work on them. And this guy is lifting up his shirt and showing me this big rib piece. And he had done beautiful work. He just happened to do what I drew. Mm. So it wasn't that good, Mm. but he was, he was very nice. My mom was very nervous the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and she was there with you. She was there. Yeah. Yeah. My stepdad was. I think he was out in the car, just like playing on his phone or something. I don't know. There didn't need to be a huge crowd. My mom didn't come with me until my hundredth tattoo. So. Oh my gosh, you're on. Yeah, which I got on my fortieth birthday, and it's it's her handwriting actually. It's, it's, it's that it's just forty hash marks. That's awesome. It was funny because I asked her. I have a birthday in December, so I asked her around like, "Excuse me," I was like, hey, "Can you just write out forty hash marks on this piece of paper?" She's like, "Sure." Why? I was like, "Don't worry about it." And luckily, my mom forgot all about it. So, And she had wanted to go with me to get a tattoo anyway. So I was like, going on my birthday, why don't you come with me for that? So I busted it out. And she's like, wait, that's what you're getting? She's like, I want a 
I wanted it to be something special. I'm like, it is something special. Yeah. But you know, uh, I think she was a little, she was a little underwhelmed. Oh. By that. I mean, I got another tattoo at the same time, like after that. Like I got my hundred and first tattoo the same day I got my hundredth tattoo, and I honestly couldn't tell you which one that one was. Uh, it's like, like I remember my first one and. <laughs> I actually remember my oh I do remember my most recent one because I got a tattoo on the road trip last year. Oh, yeah. A friend of mine is a tattoo artist. I stayed with her and she wanted to give me a souvenir of the trip. So That's she cool. tattooed me. So yeah, it's been almost a year now since I've gotten a tattoo. So you know, Ray, if you're listening, I could give blood right now. But uh, yeah. but I'm actually planning on getting another tattoo. Uh, you know, for my birthday in December, so. so. Blood drive has to be, like, next month. Right, yeah. Well, I was supposed to get a tattoo this summer. I had a, I had a friend pass away uh, in a car accident uh, this year, and it was something that I had thought about getting before he died, but after that, I was like, yeah, I definitely need to do that. It'll be the next one. But, sure. but then I had some car issues at the beginning of the summer, so unfortunately... Always a money thing. Took, took precedence over it, yeah. But, and also... The t- my tattoo, my main tattoo artist is in Cambridge, so I have to kind of make a special trip for it. And especially, yeah. he was also friends with, like, his mutual friend was the guy who passed away, so I was like, oh, I definitely have to have Jeb do that one. Right. So, um, nah, you like who you like, yeah. right? I drive, I do three hours of driving to color my hair, because yeah. I only go to one girl. So where do you go? Where, like, where do you go to get your So hair? it's called Hair Upstairs with Amanda. Okay. In Plasto. Uh, she used to work for Amazing Salon, which is just below mm-hmm. her shop. She actually owns a space above, and I think they sort of collaborate together so she can have the space. But, like, you know, she'll take, if they're overloaded, she'll take people. But yeah. it is her own business. And in any time in the past, I think, eight years that she's been doing my hair, she, if someone royally screws it up, like they do it brown or it's the wrong red, and she'll be like, okay, I'll save you. Come on down. But she's, she's very, very good to me, and I can't, I don't let other people touch it. Nice. It's, it's right on 125, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, um, well, I'll definitely be driving by it on Thursday because I'm meeting some of the stuff before work. But when I mm. work in Nashua, I, uh, I sometimes will drive that way anyways. But I also dated a girl from Plasto. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I know the area. I used to spend tons of time in Plasto when I was a kid. Because yeah. I grew up in Newton, just right there. Yeah. You know, went to high school in Kingston, also right there. Right. Plaster's like what we went, it's where, we, where you go. Right, yeah. It's where your shopping is, where everything is. So when did you move to Franklin? So I'm, I went to, went to Plymouth. Well, you're not in Franklin anymore. Not anymore, no. Um, so I went, to, uh, I went to Plymouth for four years. I was dating a guy uh, very seriously from Franklin and then um, moved back home after graduation. Like, first of all, moving back home felt like a giant step backwards. Sure. I didn't want to do that. And then... Um, he and I had already been together three years, and I was like, I wish I had a place that you could just move into. And we had talked about why don't we just get a place together. So we did. Uh, we lived in an apartment in Franklin for two years, and he's a firefighter in Laconia. And um, I have been living in, uh, we split, and I have been living in Andover, New Hampshire, with a friend, just temporarily because I wasn't sure what was happening with Ireland. I couldn't sign a lease. And even still, I can't apply to the master's program that I'm applying to until November. So still don't know what's going on, but now I have friends who are saving for their wedding and they really, really need help with their second bedroom. So I'm moving into a place in Laconia. 
and then I'll live in Laconia for a little while until yes. I move. <laughs> it's funny, whenever, like, because we had been trying to figure out our schedules to, to, to mash up uh, mm-hmm. to do this for a while, and there were a couple times where you were like, I'm going down to Andover. I always just assumed you meant Andover Mass because yeah. I actually didn't know there was an Andover New Hampshire. Most people don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing about New England is and pretty much any town name in one state, at least two of the other New England states have a town yep. with the same name. I think there's an Andover Vermont, too. I think. Probably. Yeah. I think so, yeah. I know so, there's yeah. a Concord, Massachusetts. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's only one Portsmouth, though. It's very special. There's... I think there's five Portsmouths in, in the United States. I don't even know where the others are. I have no idea. Uh, I love Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Love it. I'm a fan. It always, the thing that always gets me is like whenever people just in general conversation talk about Portland, almost always they're talking about Portland, Oregon, but Portland, Maine is the original Yeah. Um, which they're also both, a cool place. They're both cool. <clears throat> uh, I, I mean, and I had only been to Portland, Oregon once on my trip but I still say Portland Maine the original is better yeah. yeah haven't been to Portland Oregon but I've heard it's cool it's very cool I've heard it's fun it's artsy very artsy full of cool people it's there's it's probably it's probably the most liberal place in America that I've uh-huh. been to it's so much so that I'm like I, for a couple times I'm like I get it alright enough um but, uh, you know, being a fairly liberal person myself. Right. But, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very drawn to the uh, Pacific Northwest anyways. So, but I, I, I would want to be outside of Portland. It's, I don't think I could handle it full time. Sure. Isn't there a thing like, um, keep Portland weird? Is that what it is? Yeah. Is that a movement? I don't actually know what it is. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a slogan that uh, oh, I see. Well, it's, it's funny because it's one of those things that like there are certain regional slogans and like catchphrases that people will throw out all the time and my experience having traveled to most of this country now is like the slogans that are usually associated with a place the locals don't usually use it like the whole Arizona being a dry heat nobody from Arizona says that because <laughs> it's actually a good portion of the year it's incredibly humid in Arizona despite what people think to the contrary because people don't go visit Arizona during the humid weather like people don't right. go to Arizona in the summertime because why would why would you go to one of the hottest places in the country during the hottest time of year uh, I've never been there that's that is the best way to enjoy Arizona in the or, summer I think no no to, to not go there oh <laughs> um, you know I mean if you're on a long road trip seeing the country absolutely see the Grand Canyon like, yeah. there's a reason people have been going to it for hundreds of years it's it's incredible and, and Arizona is beautiful but it's the weather is unbearable like we're not supposed to live there. Humans are there. and there's no water there all the water that's there is being stolen from Colorado which is I can't even imagine you know, we have so many natural taps like you're driving and there's the best water you're going to find is on the side of the road you know of course but no I've never been there and my my roommate's parents are here actually from Arizona they're visiting with us for a couple weeks and they'll talk about being here and the other day it was I think 65 or something like that on Saturday and they're like oh it's freezing like this is so nice yeah we like the sun's out she's like no it's so she broke out a winter jacket she's so cold I like it's not that cold but 
in all fairness, human beings climatize very oh, yeah. because my first winter in Arizona in January, I was freezing and it was like maybe 58 degrees. Um, it's cold though. It's chilly for New New Hampshire. Like I'll walk around in like sweatshirt and shorts with jeans and a t-shirt, 58 degree yeah. weather. But there it was like, oh, it's so free. I mean, I think the lowest it got was probably 55 for about a week and then it starts going mm. But then the flip side is 115 degrees in the summertime. So you know, at four in the morning when it's 98 degrees, it's a little ridiculous. Gross. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't function when it's hot like that. I mean, I don't, I don't really mind being cold because I can still do the things I need to do. Right. You can always get a sweater. Put another sweater on, throw another blanket over you. Yeah. When you're hot. Yeah, there's only so much clothing you can take off until you're just naked and still sweating. Yep. You hate everything. Yes. Sweaty, you're just wet all day. It's horrible. Yeah. I hate that. Yeah. I felt like Ireland's weather was really, um, really misunderstood. People came back and they looked at it rain the whole time. No. It doesn't no, just England constantly is, pour. England is far rainier than Ireland is. Yeah. Far more like, look at London. London is under like constant cloud cover from what I understand, which I've never been there, but... Ireland is the wind is so beautiful. They have insane breezes, and the sun sun comes out. It's just so overcast. It's very patchy, but like there are spots you look up on a hill and it's just it's so lush. There's a little bit of sun. You're like that's that's Ireland right there, because there is sun. There's plenty of it. I mean, I went surfing. It's not like it's that cold, right. you know. I mean, it went, the water was definitely warmer than the air, for sure. I don't know how that really happened, but. I swallowed a lot of Irish water that day. <laughs> Surfing is so hard. Have you had you surfed before doing that? Only once yeah. in Florida, like a really long time ago. And I, I saw a sea turtle that day when I was surfing in Florida, and I thought it was a shark, and I panicked. And it was funny. My uncle's like, relax. It's kind of magical when you realize it's a sea turtle. Right. But when you think it's a shark, you think you're about to die. Right. But I don't know. It's uh, In Ireland, I didn't expect... The waves to really be what they were until we were out there, and then it's just, you have to paddle. Have you ever been to Ireland? No, no. to surfing. No, no. Oh my Sorry, gosh, no. you have to paddle so hard. Yeah. They're like, oh, you gotta beat it, get ahead of it. I'm like, can't get it. It's the ocean. Can't get ahead of the ocean. Right. But you go, and then I, I got as far up as just like being on my knees once, and then totally fell over. But yeah. a couple of them, the the guys I was with, they're like up on their feet, they're just going along, and then they hop off. You're so capable. <laughs> well, it probably wasn't their first time. Surfing. No, no. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, I have a few friends who surf uh, on a regular basis. The closest I ever got to surfing was I, I, I painted a surfboard this year <laughs> for somebody. That was, a, that was the first time for me. It is fun. It's just hard. I, um, well, I don't think I've ever said this on this podcast before. A bunch of my friends I was already been to. I don't know how to swim. Most people don't. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't, for sure, but... Uh, it's right because I can I can stay afloat very easily. I like, can't do that. Yeah. Well, it's I think fine. I'm a more buoyant person. Than you. But still, like treading water, my I mean I remember like my mom, my brother, everyone trying to teach me my whole life like just relax, chill out. I'm like I, I panic and I sink every time, hmm. and I don't know why. But even like swimming too, I get really tired and I feel like I don't have the technique. Yeah. But I'm not a great swimmer either. Hmm. Yeah, you decided to go surfing. I wasn't very deep, I will say. Right. The one point that I was pretty deep, I did get, I got a little bit nervous and came in a little bit. You, uh... <laughs> right, right. And I'm like, where's that sea turtle when I need it? It's right. in the stand on over here. Right. No, there was only one point 
I couldn't touch water. And I was a little scared, actually, because I was really, really tired. Like, I'm, I'm too tired to keep... Fortunately, you have a surfboard it's attached to your leg. Right. So you can... I was kind of just laying on it. Like, I don't even know which direction I'm going. I should figure out where the shore is. Use just my arms, and I could, like, come down and, like, right. swim a little bit, come right. back up, and use just your arms. But muscles I didn't even know I had were right. so sore the next day. Oh, it's parts of your body you just don't even know. Right. And I'm not particularly athletic, so... Right. Yeah, doing any physical activity that you don't, that you're not used to doing, you discover parts of your body. That yeah. So, I mean, it's funny. I just the first, uh, first like month I started working at Trader Joe's, I would be so sore at the end of the night because. Oh my gosh. So the the thing with them is, I don't know if you know this or not, but they have you do a different task each hour, so you're never stuck doing the same thing for more than an oh, hour. That's actually cool. It's it's. I mean, you don't get bored or even if you're doing something you really don't like which right now there's only one thing on the job that I don't like but even if you're doing a thing you don't like you know you only got 60 minutes yeah. to do it but so you end up doing a variety of different stuff but you're reaching and on your knees a lot and like it's a surprisingly a pretty physically demanding job so, yeah you know. well grocery work is so like your joints lock a lot mm-hmm. and even like repetitive motion yeah. Watch your shoulders and yeah. things like that. Yeah, I um, I make sure I do stretching and stuff before. Mm-hmm. We actually, uh, last night when we got out of work, or before they let us out, uh, the manager had us do a bunch of stretching exercises, which was a first there. It's, you know, we have different managers closing each night, and they all have kind of their own way of doing them. Sure, yeah. But yeah, they're like, she's like, we're going to do stretching exercises. We're going to do some yoga. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't put it past a lot of, you know, I mean, Trader Joe's is a pretty crunchy granola <laughs> place anyways, so, you know, and it was started in California, so I'm sure there are Trader Joe's where sure. they do yoga there, so. It's group yoga before sunrise yoga before it opens, something like that. So you started, um, I think you're on, what, your 11th day of hiring? I am. This week was 11. Yeah. Uh, so, pretty much every Sunday. Yes. Correct. Every Every single Sunday... I had said at one point, I was like, it'll be around the same time. I'll do it in the afternoon. And I remembered, no, that's not possible because... It's kind of all over the place. Right? I mean, especially now and always, because I've done two to three shows at a time for the past... Since last September. Yeah, one of them you did it during... It wasn't even an intermission. You were just off stage when you were yeah, doing yeah. the show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did it between seats. Yeah. So so tell... Talk, talk a little bit about what it is you're doing and like what inspired you to do it in the first place. So the the video diary, what I'm doing, it's, it's a hashtag public video diary. And basically what it is or what it started as was a way of a movement that I was creating for myself called Single on Purpose. Because I had a really devastating breakup for a lot of reasons. Um, it was a very, very long-winded breakup too. I, I had discovered a lot of things that I didn't know within the relationship all at once. When when I thought I was at my happiest, I just, it, it blew up in my face really quickly and, you know, kind of felt like, like the earth crumbled beneath me because I had supported myself so much on this relationship mm-hmm. that when I found out the truth, I didn't quite know how to just let go of it. I didn't really feel, something didn't feel right about like, no, that's it, I'm done, out the door. It didn't feel right. Even though really anyone in the same situation, I feel like would be like, no, you walk, walk that day, you know, of course. But um, I stayed for a long time. And on top of it, 
all these things happened. Like my motorcycle was stolen and Fern, who if people know me and they don't know Fern, you don't know me very well. Fern is, she was my hedgehog and I light of my entire life. I loved her so much. She died very suddenly. Uh, my niece was killed in a car accident very suddenly at 18 years old and she had so much potential that we didn't even know what to do with her. So I was like, Deja, Deja was going to rule the world. What, what do you do when someone like that dies? You know, like when, when you know that they're going to move mountains, it's like, who's left to do that once they're gone? So we were so upset. And like my, my brother had a friend commit suicide. So we were very nervous about him, not, not for suicidal reasons, but just because it was so for all of his sure. friends. So it seemed like so much was happening around the breakup. And like, I can't also pack up my life and move right now. So I, surrounded myself in theater for you know I was doing multiple shows at a time I never wanted to be home I just kept myself very distracted so at the end of this year uh, this like not calendar year but you know 12 month period Mm -hmm. that by the end of it I had uh, left the guy moved on or like moved into a new place and tried to step forward and then met somebody very suddenly like a month later and he was this really, really like, like incredible Christian guy. We connected in a lot of ways. And I was like, wow, like maybe, you know, they say like you meet someone that makes you realize why it didn't work out. And I thought maybe that's what it would be like. And like, no, he completely abandoned me. Mm-hmm. And because I had become kind of infatuated with him so quickly, that was such such a shell shock as well. Like we sure. went, from, went from having like a really great day together, like a whole day at the end of the day, basically him asking me to like hit the road. I was like, I don't know where that came from, but okay. So it seemed like I was putting so much reliance on other people and other things that I wanted to start relying on myself and restoring a little bit of the faith that I have because it is so foundational for me. So I found a church that I love, which is Next Level Church. Uh, Kelsey Dominey introduced me to it. Love being there. I love everything about that church. They have a they have 10 locations, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have some friends that are Yeah, I love... Oh, does she? It's great. I love that church. I just got on their worship team, too, and I'm really excited about But But um, the video diary basically turned into me wanting to do this whole single on purpose thing that even though I've been pursued since then, I've been asked out, I've been, you know, like, whatever else. People are like, you should get on a dating site. Like, why would I do that? <laughs> it's, it was a way of me holding myself accountable is that I was going to be was going to take the platform I was given of social media and use it as a form of holding myself accountable and being vulnerable and just being completely honest about everything that was going on around me that you know I've I've been cheated on I've been abandoned I've been used and abused and all these different things for years and really haven't been single in 10 years yeah and at 24 that's too long to have never spent any time being single so did the video diary and then the deeper that I got into my faith the more that it turned into a form of ministry which got an even better response than I thought before so I've been uh, contacted by all these people that I would never think of being really really vulnerable in return to me saying like this is what's on my heart this is what's going on in my life this is something I'm struggling with like people that massive confessions coming through like things you would never even consider from people much older than me people much younger than me just coming to me and telling me everything I don't know how something as simple as a six minute video once a week has done that but it's doing that so I'm just going to keep doing it well just as a perspective of someone who's watched 
not all of them, uh, so it failed when you like go back and watch all of them. But um, I've seen, I've seen more than I haven't seen. I think I've seen six of them. Yeah, sure. Um, but also someone who knows you somewhat. I mean, we've known each other for a few years. Uh, yeah, uh, over two years, I think. I think people really re- react to honesty, mm-hmm. um, and particularly with social media now, but kind of throughout human existence, people have always tried to put their best best face forward, and sometimes it involves either covering up stuff or just like lying about stuff, and when you're completely honest, it, I think it catches some people off guard, but I think people really uh, are drawn to humility and honesty. Mm. So. I, do, I do like that feeling. Um, my mom put it in an interesting way, and it um, it opened up a, a perspective of a way that maybe some people have seen me, including her. And she said, and this, I'm paraphrasing, but like this is something she said. She said, it's interesting to see someone fall apart who you think had it all together. She, she was like, you've always been talented. You've always been attractive. You've always had friends. You've always had a boyfriend. You've always had supportive parents, a car, a motorcycle, you know, all these things. She's like, you've never really crumbled in front of people she's like you've always been sort of on this you know on this pinnacle that you've kept yourself on she's like whether it was intentional or not people have admired you for those reasons she's like to see you soften and to see you struggle makes people feel like she's a human just like me sure which is actually really nice you know i mean i met with someone i've been doing a lot of coffee dates since it started people be like can we meet for this and it's challenging it is challenging because there's so many of them and i actually feel a little guilty when I can't prioritize like someone's sure. far away sure but I do them as often as I can and one girl said to me she's like I didn't even know you were a Christian I'm like I almost don't know how to feel about that because and I asked her I was, I was like well well what do you mean and she was like I didn't know you believed in God she's she like I knew that you were really nice and you were approachable and you're friendly to people and compassionate I'm like well that's what being a Christian is so if I represented that for you best case scenario for sure oh being a Christian is very, very. I I, uh, I, I would just say that I'm being a little snarky only because not so. uh, I, you know I grew up in the church and I know personally some some not so nice Christians, but I know a lot of really nice. Oh, Christians. there are atheists that I know that are practically made of gold in comparison to some Christians that I know. There are I, I almost hesitate to with Christian believers. Mm-hmm. You know, even better people people that just love I mean next level church is big on that too it's not religion based because religion is man made and horribly corrupt very very corrupt you know religion is invented it's very much invented but the form of ministry that I'm doing is really just to tell people like yes I believe in God yes I believe he loves you and I believe he has a plan for you and for me that's it that's all I know Mm. and there's a lot the Bible can teach me. There's a lot of scripture and church and all these things can teach me. What I know right now, for sure, is that he loves you and he loves me and that's that's enough. Because when I started realizing that and remembering that and trusting that my plan is already laid out for me, my life got a lot easier. A lot easier. And I started feeling much more comfortable in my own skin. I didn't feel as much stress about... I was talking about this with a friend, actually. People that, especially my generation... People in their 20s that are like, what am I going to do with my future? What do I, do? I don't know how they live. I don't even know how they're making it day to day without the comfort of knowing that your plan is already made for you. Mm-hmm. What, a, what a stressful place to be. That sounds terrible. And I'm 
fortunate to believe what I believe. Right. And I, I don't know. I'm still learning a lot about it. I don't claim to be an expert, but much like the podcast, it, it's just that what I believe is the truth. Yeah. And I love hearing from other people too. Sure. Well, I mean, the wisest people that I know in my life are people that would fully admit they're like, that A, they don't know everything and that they're constantly learning and constantly changing their perspective based on the stuff that they encounter. So. Ooh, things that they learn, perspectives. I mean, anyone raised, and I found this a lot to be true very often in Ireland, is that so many of the people that I met and was talking to would say that they were raised in a Catholic church. I'm like, that's unfortunate because <laughs> most people turn their nose to it once they can. Sure. Most people do anyway, or it seemed that way from the people that I met. So, and I said this in one of the video diaries, I, I would explain my perspective in the way that I feel. And they'd kind of give me like the, the crooked puppy face, like the tilted head, like, what do you mean? Right. So you'd have lots of conversations about it. Like uh, they were fascinated by the idea of love languages. You familiar mm -hmm. with love languages? Mm -hmm. So it's not even necessarily like, like a biblical or religious or faith-based thing. It's just everyone has at least one love language, if not multiple, sometimes for different relationships, but they are, let me get this right, physical touch, quality time, gift giving, acts of service, and what is the other one? Words of, um, I forget. Ah, basically words of like encouragement or like, yeah, things, I can't remember the actual word right now for some reason, but those five love languages are identified in pretty much everyone whether it be in a relationship with your parents, your friends, whatever. Like, I know that mine is physical touch. I know it is between my friends and my parents. You know, all these things. I know quality time is a big one for me, too. But when we were talking about it one night, we're just, like, sharing a couple bottle, bottles of wine, myself and two other guys, and we're sitting in an apartment in Ireland, and they were like, no, explain them, you know, explain them again. So I would go through, and they'd, like, they went on together without me for, like, 45 minutes just talking about what theirs are and what they think and what about with each other and what about relationships and, like, I started to acknowledge that even in past relationships, if I had known the other person's love language, we probably would have connected much easier because mm -hmm. I would know how to how to satisfy that person or how to make that person feel sure. good rather than like, why does my, why does my love language not work for you? Because it might not be theirs. Right. So if you understand theirs and you understand yours, you end up collaborating a little bit better sure. as a couple. I think it's true for friends too. Sure. Yeah, yeah. we all... We all connect in different ways, and you know we have. It was interesting. I was having a. I had breakfast on Saturday with a friend, and we were talking about connections and like the nature of like jealousy and stuff. Because we're both single, but have been in relationships where there was a lot of jealousy in the past, mm -hmm. and like and the, the particular relationship that I was talking about was so you know someone that I had, I. I person I moved to Arizona with and there was a lot of jealousy there and there was no physical like there was no physical betrayal or anything like that but I and, and this is not throwing all the blame on on her by any means but I got a lot of my emotional needs met from other people like for friendship and that's kind of how I've always hmm. been and um, that can be difficult for some other people because some people like feel like they should be the only one who you get certain 
needs met from which personally I think is unhealthy but you know every person is different so well a huge part of the diary is that too you know putting all your reliance on one person like I don't know if you've seen this one but I did a big thing one of my favorite oh you have seen it because it was during the show uh, validation if you give someone the power to validate you you give them the same power to invalidate you so if you make and they say this to teenagers all the time like don't make someone your whole world because then if they're gone you lose your whole world for sure that's true that's true for grown ups too oh yeah for sure and then that's that was a huge when that relationship ended that for me that was a huge freeing thing because I was like okay I'm gonna do I'm gonna follow through on the things that are important to me regardless of another person if somebody else wants to hop along for part of the ride or you know all of it or whatnot cool but I'm gonna do it regardless so Mm -hmm. you know and that's a lot of like the crazy like trips and stuff like that I've done in the past few years have been I never would have done before because I would have needed someone else's permission to do them. Oh yeah. Well, I didn't go back to Ireland for four years. Right. Because who I was with had no interest in even visiting. Yeah. And the idea of going alone probably would have, even though he's supportive, probably would have really upset him for me to go for such a long time by myself or to like to do the things that I did and you know, take the disconnect that I took, but I wouldn't have been able to do that unless I was single. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was the first thing I thought of. I used to say uh, all the time, because we had a lot of close calls in the relationship fairly frequently, mostly because of other women, that I would say, like, if anything happens, Ireland is step one. You know, I, I will, of course, pursue Ireland, and I did immediately. It was that One of the first things I did in the first few weeks was start researching flights. Yes. And then nobody could really go with me and they were like what about like in the winter like let's go next summer I was like you know I can't wait for you people anymore Mm. and I'm done relying on other people so I bought a plane ticket with no plan at all yeah um but you are now you're 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 in the process of making plans to yes I am and I've wanted that for so long I've dreamt literally dreamt about Mm. living in Ireland for such a long time and I feel so called to live there I really there's there's something about the feeling that I have when I'm there it's so undeniable even like my pastor he's like it's there's something in you mm. about being there when you talk about it that, mm. that the way that you light up the way you talk about it so it's not going unacknowledged by the people around me too but there is a master's program at Trinity College that I'm applying to it would be philosophy in theater and performance mm-hmm. it takes 12 months it's like 10 grand or something like that so it's really cheap and short for a master's program and what I figure is this. I spend the next year, because it wouldn't be till next fall, spend the next year saving a lot of money, finishing the theater that I'm already signed up for, because right. I'm booked through March. So I'm here until at least March. I'm in a wedding in May. So I'm, I'm here for a while. That I, I figured if I got into the master's program, left next fall, I could be in Ireland for 12 months. I could be a student. You can work during that time. I would live there and be fully involved, fully involved in European theater. And like doing the ministry that I want to do and all these things for 12 months. If by the end of 12 months I decide it's not where I want to be, I walk with a master's. Sure. From Trinity, which is essentially the Oxford of Ireland. So it would be a highly esteemed master's degree that I could take. You know, I could try a different part of Europe if I want to. I could come back home if I want to. And then I've kept my career in the right direction. Haven't wasted any time. And I tried it at its deepest level. Mm. You know, being a student, working, being friends, all these things. Instead of going and being a bartender for a year and being like, oh, I'm at a dead end, what do I do? Sure. You know, it seems I wanted to go for a purpose 
it had to be for a purpose. I couldn't just go. You know, I, I wanted to have I wanted to have a goal. Yeah. I guess I didn't want the goal to just arrive because then you arrive and three months in you're like, okay, so I'm here. Sure. Yeah. Now you know, what? Yeah, yeah. Now what? So instead of you studying, the program is really really cool. It sets you up for a future in Europe too because you do so much networking. The Wednesday class takes place in theaters. Nice. In Ireland, so you don't really have to go without meeting all the people that you need to meet. Right. Right. Yeah. So the application opens in November. I'm so, so when will you find out? I would assume this winter because okay. um, I had I had a 90 minute interview while I was there with the course director I, I had sent him an email and asked him when the application would open he's like not until the fall but you know do you have questions I was like I have lots of questions uh, and I said I'm, and I'm in Dublin for the rest of the week and I was like well come on down so I went down I had tea with him for like an hour and a half and we talked about all this stuff and um, by the end he was saying that and submit the application, transcripts, letters of recommendation, all the school stuff. Typically, they would do a video interview. He's like, you've obviously already been interviewed, so we would just do something brief to touch base, like, hey, you're still interested? Cool, good. And then they need, like, like a writing sample. He's like, basically, I need to make sure you're not a fifth-grade writer. He's like, okay, cool. That's fine. I can manage that. I can manage sixth grade. <laughs> but, um, no, hopefully better than that. English was a strong suit of mine, so I hope so. Nice. And then get an acceptance from there and then apply for every scholarship humanly possible because I have to live in the city yeah. and I'm only legally allowed to work 20 hours a week right. on a student visa yeah. I'm going to need to go there with a lot so. sure sure. and there's something with immigration too to have permission to work you have to have saved a lot of money yeah yeah. You, they basically want to make sure to be on the shadow of that A you're not going to be a drain on them but B you're not taking work away from anyone should be working there, yeah. Because my yeah. my oldest brother, he lives in the UK, but um, he had to like apply every year for like uh, like I don't entirely understand it, but like they had to prove that like the position he had been offered, there wasn't anyone critical there. skills. Right, it's exactly. a critical skills visa. You have to prove that you are the only one capable. Which who can do that? You know, it's right. That would be in like computer science or something like that. You know, yeah. really, can be like I'm the only actor here. Right. Right. Uh, no, far from it. But no, there's the critical skills visa, and then you can get a company to sponsor you. I learned that there are a couple of companies specifically that hire Americans. So like Facebook, Amazon, and Google are all in Ireland. Their Ireland locations will hire a lot of Americans. Will sponsor lots of Americans, which is great. There's another company though that. I would have to look through my phone for the name of that hires Americans for voiceover work mm. and it's because they have to make training videos for all different kinds of jobs in very clear English so they can't have like an English speaking like foreign person because it might not come out totally clear they phrase sure. things differently that they just they need it crystal clear mm. that they'll hire Americans for that because we're so American <laughs> I think if you ever get one of those jobs, you should do it in like a deep South accent. I, sh- <laughs> I am an American. I'm just from, you know, Dallas. <laughs> that so would be funny. You were saying before you do that, you want to honor your theater commitments. So yes, what are some of those theater commitments? Because 
Uh, you talk about the show that you're in right now, but what else do you have coming up? So I layer my shows as I do very often. So Invasion from Mars will close on the 21st. Uh, five days later, I'll go into tech for the next show. Five days off, <laughs> not off our rehearsal for two other shows right. at the same time. But um, then I will open When Colossus Falls, which is also at the Hatbox. It's uh, an original, oh, I forget the playwright's last name, but it's, it's an original. It's part of Donald Tung's um, New World Theater series, so it's a brand new script. It's never been done before. It is very cool. Really, really cool script. I'm glad I auditioned. It's um, kind of impossible to explain, but it's a little creepy. It has sort of a mystery sci-fi element to it, even though it's very real. We're using a lot of metaphors in the set, which is interesting. I hope people pick up on it. It's um, it's going to be really well-constructed. Hannah Joy, is she designed the set, so you know it's going to be gorgeous. Um, that will be November 2nd to the 18th, run three weeks as well. Another five days after that, I go into tech for Christmas Carol, which is just, I couldn't audition because I was so sick. I couldn't even phone it. I'm like, I could audition for Christmas yeah. Future. Hatbox or the Players Ring? Hatbox. Okay. Players Ring is a far for me in the winter because if we have a horrible snowstorm, sure. I can't go. <laughs> or well, I can, but I'd have to call there. <laughs> then Christmas Carol, and then I will start directing Singing in the Rain oh, nice. at Footlight in Franklin. Massive project. Yeah. I've never directed a musical before, and I've never directed more than five people before. So to have 25 to 30 who are going to sing and dance is uh, a lot. Yeah, I'm I would imagine. very excited. Do you have a good stage manager? I do. Awesome. I, I have a great production team in general. I'm fortunate, yeah. very fortunate to have the production team that I have. And in a, the first, I guess you could call it a production meeting, after we found it, it was accepted and we finalized, you know, a couple of details, bought the royalties and all these things. Uh, they said, they were like, so what do you want to do about the rain? I was like, oh, it's going to rain on stage. And they're like, well, no, it's, you know, we have projections, we can do a fog machine. I'm like, no, it's going to rain on stage. I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, I did the show in high school and it rained on stage. Mm -hmm. He's like, I know how to do it. It's, there's a way to make a rain curtain. It's, this one woman goes, oh, we, we can't get the stage wet. We absolutely can't get it wet. It's too old. I was like, that's funny. We mop the stage. Right. So. Typically, you have to do it with a wet mop. He was like, yeah, we can get the stage. And so. A guy who's, um, he's very funny. He's a major part of my, Robbie Laflamme is an amazing person in a footlight. He does everything. Yeah. With a, with a major head injury too, he's very, very capable. Mm. He, um, he spoke up, he was like, there are so many leaks in that roof, no rain curtain. If it actually rains, we don't need to turn it on. So it's, it's great. But uh, there's a very easy way to make it, so that'll be big. I'm moving the pit to a different part of the room. I'm giving them a conductor, which I've had in a really long time. Um, I'm expecting tap, a lot of tap from people, which isn't common right. in massive groups in New Hampshire. It's not common. Um, my choreographer is really, really good with teaching something that someone's not really familiar with, yeah. so I know she'll be great. Jen Schaffner is doing that for me. Uh, Dan Darling is my producer. I, really, I have an incredible production team, and they're dealing with how ambitious I'm being. So That's awesome. It'll go well. I'm excited. Just gonna cast it. When is that? When does that go off? Okay, so it'll it performs the last weekend of March. We have an info night for all of you listeners. We have an info night November fourth at six o'clock at the Franklin Opera House, where I will answer all of your questions and I will pitch what I'm going for. The auditions are November twelfth and fourteenth. Uh, you only have to come one night, and 
people can find me if they want more details because I won't go into all of it. But cool. I want a big turnout. I'd love to see lots of new people in the theater. I'd love to see their current people because they have so much heart. I can't wait. Nice. But it'll be the biggest thing I've ever done. That's exciting. It is exciting. Cool. Well, that's a, uh, I think that's a good place to, to stop. Yes. For this conversation. Yeah. So hopefully, we can continue it maybe when you're in Ireland. That would be, yeah. you fly out? Sure. You should. Well, I'm going, I have plans to revisit uh, Europe in, in about 18 months. So oh, yeah? So I'll be there by then. It'd be easy to coordinate at that point. So. Yeah, I'll have yeah. been there for a while by then. Nice. I should have a couch you can sleep on, I hope. Sweet. And that would be good. Awesome. Yay. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this, and uh, it was great to see you. Yeah, I'll meet you in Ireland. Awesome. <laughs>